The best advice is anything that's implemented. You know, talk is cheap and it's much harder to actually do something. If you're thinking about what to do, stop thinking, like start doing something. That's Noor Siddiqui, founder and CEO of Orchid. Orchid helps couples have healthy babies through genetic testing. Their goal is to take away some of the scary unknowns of having a child. In this episode, we talk about parental autonomy, radical candor paired with radical kindness, and getting people to talk off script. I'm Maureen Taylor, and this is Think Like a Founder. So describe to the audience exactly what ORCID does. So ORCID helps couples have healthy babies. And the way that we do that is we've developed a new type of genetic test for couples who are planning to have a child soon. So what it does is it analyzes both partners' DNA and it identifies the disease risk that's most likely to impact their future child's health. What we're looking for is the top diseases. So things like cancer, heart disease, schizophrenia, diabetes, the conditions that really matter to parents. And unlike most genetic tests, you can actually do something about the results that you get from ORCID. Specifically, one of the options that we offer that isn't available by any other company in the world is that we offer embryo sequencing. So what that means is that parents can screen embryos that are created through IVF and quantify the level of risk for each of these diseases in each embryo and then implant the healthiest embryo into the mother so that they have the greatest peace of mind and their child has the greatest chance at a healthy life. The specific case that we're most excited about is that you know there's many couples who aren't having children simply because they're affected by a condition their partner is affected by a condition or they're the caregiver for someone in their family who, who has a very devastating condition. And for them, they're choosing not to have a child because they don't want them to suffer. For them, this is sort of the opportunity to have enough confidence to go into their pregnancy to say that, okay, this embryo is low risk. It's not at very, very high risk like I may be or like my partner may be. So I feel confident enough in order to go through with my pregnancy. So why has it become so controversial? Every single reproductive technology that's been introduced pretty much since the dawn of time has had fierce opposition. I mean, if you think about it, birth control was fought for decades. Artificial insemination was initially denounced as a form of adultery. IVF was strongly opposed for creating test tube babies. And at every single step, clinical genomics has also been fought. So some people actually opposed the sequencing of the human genome in the first place. Some people said that genomics hadn't produced any clinical value, and some said that expanded carrier screening, which is now routine today for Mendelian conditions, was too radical. And that was just a few years before it became standard of care. I mean, if you think about something as routine now as something called NIPT, this is non-invasive prenatal testing. It's offered at 10 weeks gestation for every woman across the country and around the world now. It lets women know if their fetus has a normal or abnormal number of chromosomes. And some families are making the decision to terminate these pregnancies if the fetus is found to have Down syndrome or other chromosomal abnormalities that are going to lead to a shortened life. So this was also extremely controversial. And now the vast majority of women going through their pregnancies today are getting this information at that point. There are some people that think what ORCID is doing, it's coming close to playing God or that it's trying to get closer to being able to create a superhuman race. But really, from what you've said, is that you're trying to give people information and to let them make decisions for themselves. Exactly. And I think that the playing God criticism is a little interesting because I feel like all of technology is, is playing God. When you get cancer, are you not playing God by getting chemotherapy? If you break your leg, are you not playing God by repairing it? The natural order of things is that life would be you know, short and brutish. We would die in our 30s or in our 40s if there wasn't modern medicine, if there wasn't antibiotics, if there weren't 
all of these other technologies that we use so that we can suffer less in life. So I think this is just the exact same thing is that the most fundamental desire for parents is that I want my child to suffer less than I did. And having a health complication is one of the main ways that people suffer in a way that they feel is totally out of their control. I would love it if all of these diseases tomorrow had cures, but unfortunately it's not that simple to cure any set of diseases. I mean, it's really exciting that we've eradicated smallpox, that we've eradicated polio. These are all some of the most celebrated medical interventions of our time. And if future parents can reduce the probability, reduce the chance that their child develops the same disease that they had to suffer from, I think that that's a huge positive benefit for society and for these families. And I think it's honestly pretty frightening to me that people who aren't going to be the ones who are actually burdened with the, the lifetime costs of these diseases are the ones saying to families who are suffering that, oh, you actually shouldn't be able to do anything to mitigate your family's chance from suffering. They're not on the hook for a lifetime of medical bills and emotional suffering that a lot of these diseases can cause. So it's really not up to them to decide. This is about parental autonomy. This is the, the parent's right to choose their partner, the parent's right to choose how and when they want to have children. It's also the parent's right to choose which embryo they want to implant into their own body. And your whole purpose, wanting to help people have more control over their own lives, was really inspired by the experience you had with your mom. Tell us about that. Growing up, I saw my mom get a really heartbreaking diagnosis, a disease called retinal pigmentosa. And what that means is that you progressively go blind. So very early on in her life, you know, in her early 30s, she sort of got the book thrown at her that said that, hey, I know you're really used to being a sighted person, but over the next couple of decades, you're going to have your vision ripped away from you. When I was growing up, it, it, it wasn't very clear to me what that would actually look like for her, how that would impact her health, because the way the disease works is that your retina degrades very slowly over time. Seeing the way that her life changed to that diagnosis really got me interested in genetics from a young age. And I was very scared, honestly. Okay, is this disease going to affect me? Is it going to affect my siblings? Is it going to affect other family members? As I got older, it wasn't just, is it going to affect me? But, oh, could this potentially affect a future child? And that's kind of where the motivation to start Orchid started is that, okay, this is not uncommon, right? A hundred million Americans are living with chronic diseases that have a genetic basis. And if there's a way for us to meaningfully increase the odds that our child will live a healthy life, that's something that I think a lot of parents or future parents will want to invest in for their family. Now, you originally wanted to pursue your PhD before founding a company, but instead you ended up becoming a founder sooner than you thought. What happened? I guess their question was, okay, do I want to write papers and solve research problems? Or is there a immediate application that we could release out into the world and help families? And I think that once sort of that first investor that I chatted with said, hey, you know, maybe five years from now, the, the window will have closed and there'll be you know 10 other companies in this space. Does it really make sense for you to go to this PhD or is this what motivates you more actually seeing this help people? And once I reflected on that and digested a bit, it was sort of very obvious that to me, like the point of a paper was to motivate someone to build something. And I was already motivated to build this thing. I wanted to build it even for myself. So once I'd reflected on five years from now, what would be more valuable for me? Helping 10,000 families, helping five families, even helping one family or publishing one paper. And it's obviously helping that family fulfill their dream of being able to have a healthy baby. In starting this company, you had to learn a lot about reproductive health. And you've seen that there's a whole industry around human reproduction that people might not even realize exists. So paint that picture for us. 
The crash course for me was this conference called ASRM, which I highly recommend anyone to go to. It's called the American Society of Reproductive Medicine. And you just see every company that's sort of in the reproductive technology space, right? And most people don't even know that there's this field called reproductive technology. But there is. There are these folks who run egg banks, run sperm banks, run surrogacy agencies, all of these different components to helping people build families. And it's just a really new and, and interesting world, the way that it's set up. And there's a lot of misconceptions I think people have about the whole IVF and egg freezing process. So one of the ones that's most common that I find really funny is that people say that, okay, if you do egg freezing, you're going to accelerate the onset of menopause because you know, you're know you sucking out these eggs and menopause is when you're out of eggs. So if you do egg freezing, that means that you're going to decrease the age at which you'd have menopause onset. And the reason why it's not true is because every month, a lot of eggs are just degrading naturally inside your ovaries. So what you're actually doing is just capturing a bunch of eggs that otherwise would have atrophied and storing them away in a freezer. So there's so many things like that where there's sort of a common sense explanation that's like a very obvious misconception of how the biology actually works, but that somehow just memed itself into a society and scares uh, you know some people from perhaps pursuing it. To navigate a space filled with misconceptions, you have to build the right team. And you specifically look for people who have an I am an owner kind of outlook. How do you know someone you're interviewing has that mindset? We have a couple of cultural values at Orca that I think are super important. So one of them is boldness paired with humility. Boldness is the quality that gets you to actually go out and do something, right? To just put something out there. And I think that's a really important quality that is actually pretty rare. And then I think it's even more rare to have boldness paired with humility. So humility is enough self-awareness. We'll say we need to actually fix all these parts of it that are you know, grotesque. And I think that finding folks who have both of those qualities sort of in equal measure is the ideal team member at Orchid because you have to be really bold in order to put something like what we're building out there. But you also have to be extremely humble because we have a really enormous responsibility not just to these parents, but also to society to introduce technology correctly, correctly from a scientific standpoint, correctly from an ethical standpoint. Every time you, you make a decision, you have to be willing to reassess it and to understand, okay, if, if new information comes out, maybe we should change how we're doing things. And if you don't have that humility, then you're too arrogant to change things when you actually should change them. The other one is probably radical candor paired with radical kindness. You've probably met someone who's radically candid, right? They're like, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but, and it's sort of like, okay, now here comes the uh, flurry of really mean uh, statements. So in order for radical candor to actually come across well, you actually also have to be radically kind. You have to truly want the best for your team members. You have to truly make them feel like you're on the same team. Some people are really good at representing themselves in an interview. And then once you actually start working with them, they're actually not. And Specifically, if you're at a larger company, you can get away with that for a long time. But if you're at a startup, you sort of can't. And some people who are jumping into a startup for the first time are shocked by the level of transparency that's expected and the output that's expected. So I think that the thing that I've learned is people have their script that they want to tell about why they left their last job, what their plan is for the next five years. So make sure you ask something that gets people to talk off script. As you've learned, building teams, finding the right people for a startup, that's one thing. But being a founder, there is a loneliness. And I talk a lot about that on this program. It's something you just kind of need to accept. Is that true for you? 
Oh, definitely. Yes. I mean, it basically you have to be willing to insulate your team from lots of chaos that's going on, right? They didn't sign up to be a founder. They didn't sign up to be the CEO. They signed up to be the senior scientist, be the senior engineer, be head of growth, right? They, they signed up for a defined role. They don't want to make these really large trajectory altering decisions for the company. They, they're not going to be there at midnight or 3 a.m. when something critical gets dropped in your inbox. So I think that, yeah, that, it, it can definitely be lonely or wear on you over time that, you know, the buck stops with you. But for a certain type of personality, that's actually pretty exciting. It definitely wears on you, I think, over time. If you try and do it totally alone, right, you don't confide in your investors, your board or other founders, then yeah, it can definitely feel really isolating. I mean, I think that everyone experiences this in their personal life. Something will go wrong in their family. Someone will get a diagnosis and they'll feel like, oh, I'm the only one in my social network going through this. And the reality is, is that's not true. People aren't posting on Instagram about their mom's breast cancer diagnosis, but it, it is happening. People are privately suffering in a lot of the same ways. And if they would just open up and talk about it, they'd feel better. And it's the same thing for being a founder, right? There's a set of painful things that every founder goes through that isn't splashed on the front page of Business Insider or TechCrunch, but is like a private struggle that every founder goes through. And I think that having that dialogue and you know being transparent with a small group of people that you trust really helps make it a little bit less painful. But that's true for all things in life. Knowing what you know now, if you could give advice to yourself when you were first starting out, what would it be? It would probably be to have a little bit thicker skin, actually. <laughs> I mean, I, I knew going into starting this company that it was going to be, you know, controversial and people were going to get really activated about that. But I think it's always different to understand something intellectually and then to actually go ahead and experience it. So a company, a product is your baby, right? You really feel very strongly about it. When other people are attacking it and saying, oh, you know, no one should have access to this product. It just doesn't feel great. And I don't think that this advice is unfortunately unique to Orchid. I mean, anyone who does anything notable ends up aggregating a growing mob of haters. And the internet is really exciting because it allows you to, in an instant, connect with people who have a really bizarre interest that's the same as yours. But the opposite is also true. Even there's a really small minority of people who really hate what you're doing, they're all going to meet each other and then find the nexus point you know, on your Twitter account or, or elsewhere. So I think that the strange consequence of this is that people who are starting companies today have to have an extremely thick skin, like much more than in the past, because at a much earlier stage, companies and products are just getting way more heat. It used to be the case that you, know, you had to be a really large company with a really large distribution in, in order to have a large set of people be pro or con your product. And I think that now the opposite is true, right? Now everyone has a smartphone and has access to see all of these things. So what that means is that people who are starting companies today have to be extremely resilient. It might mean that the types of people who are starting companies are very different because it's sort of like you have to have this personality characteristic where you're able to push forward and release things and then not get so demoralized by a very small group of people in the grand scheme of things criticizing what you're doing. But the best advice is anything that's implemented. There's so many platitudes in life that are 100% true that we hear constantly that are sort of like a refrain in our mind. Talk is cheap and it's much harder to actually do something. If you're thinking about what to do, stop thinking, like start doing something. Go in any direction that's better than trying to plan and strategize infinitely. It's sort of like, well, just go interact with the real world, like talk to customers, make something that you can show them. So maybe the most obvious or impactful advice is that you should be biased toward action. That was Noor Siddiqui, founder and CEO of Orchid. Orchid uses genetic testing to help parents have healthy babies. They believe in a couple's right to access the best available scientific information that can enable them to make responsible choices. You can learn more at orchidhealth.com. I'm Maureen Taylor. 
Thanks for listening. Series producer is Mike Sullivan. Sound designed by Mark Reen. Content and scripting by Jason Drown. Production coordinator is Natasha Thomas. Thanks also to Roisin Hunt, Selena Persiani-Shell, Matt Johnson, John Hughes, and Ren Vera. <laughs>